Welcome to Crypto Podcast Goods, the audio home for Club CPG. This week, Ellie Steinbach, founder of Shermint and the creator of ERC-721R, joined CPG COO Mikey Pirro for a deep discussion on the refundable NFT standard, as well as the recently created account abstraction standard. The two get into how both of these work what their impact could be on the larger NFT space, and when we could start seeing them implemented. As a reminder, the hosts of CPG, POP, and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All opinions are of the hosts and guests alone. Nothing discussed today should be treated as investment advice, and all content from our Genius Calls is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Now let's get to that Genius Call. GM, GM, we are back with Genius Call 25. With me today is Ellie Steinbach of ShareMint. Ellie comes from a background of having a number of different awards and accolades in his repertoire. He had a design agency in Web2, and then he moved full-time into Web3. And he's going to talk to us about ERC-721R, which he created and produced, which is a refundable NFT mint. And then we're also going to talk about the latest of the large ERCs, which is 4337 and the account abstraction and management for Web3. So, Ellie, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. So, please tell us a little bit about what you started before ShareMint and then how you came into the idea for ShareMint. Sure. So, um, I, well, yeah, I, I've, done, I've been in crypto since around 2017. Um, I got involved in sort of the hype cycle back then. And I actually went and launched like an NFT project like very early on in my sort of my first foray into sort of like smart contract development and building crypto products. Um, but in 2018, in early 2018, we launched uh, an NFT collection called Crypto Fighters, which were these digital fighters on the Ethereum blockchain. You could collect them, you could battle with them. If you want to battle, we awarded you a new fighter. Um, and yeah, we even sort of had our own uh, marketplace at the time because sort of OpenSea was just starting up. That's sort of when I first got involved. Um, since then, I've, I've done a whole bunch of different stuff in the space. I ran a development agency of like sort of from around 2018. to. It, I mean, it still sort of even runs today, but from 2018 to around 2022 type thing. Um, and we, yeah, we did a lot of work in web two companies like, uh, Mercedes, Bloomberg tracks, a lot of companies in the Israeli startup ecosystem we've worked with. And we also actually helped a lot of teams with sort of their, their web three products, just because of my own background in crypto. And in the last year or two, I've been focused, uh, sort of on building our own products. Um, we, we launched the RC721R. We also had an NFT, uh, crypto analytics platform called Exodia. And then around eight months ago, we pivoted towards Sherman, just sort of realizing there was sort of like a, a huge need for the, a, like marketing tooling within Web3 and sort of improving the Web3 growth stack. Fantastic. Can you give us a little bit more about what products and services Sherman provides? And then we're going to turn it over to you for refundable NFTs. Yeah, sure. So... Uh, ShareMint, we do two things. One, we make it easy for Web3 teams to launch a referral or affiliate program. Our goal is within a few minutes, you have your program set up. And then two, also enabling you to sort of partner with a lot of the big names in the space. Uh, for partners, this can be an additional form of revenue for them. And for sort of Web3 teams, obviously, this gives them exposure to um, a lot more people. Um, sort of some of the names we work with are like sort of Zeneca, Llamaverse, like a whole bunch of others. I think it's great that the bridge between Web 2 and Web 3 has nuance and that there's so many folks tackling it. And I see ShareMint as applying that experience and nuance um, moving forward because I think a lot of products that are Web 3 generally can be Web 2 products. The enhancement of Web3 is really where the new and exciting engagement comes from. So it's great to hear that there's even more things to come from what Web3 has to offer for us. Yeah. And we're, we're really like, we're sort of how we see things is like, we'd like to see like the growth stack for Web3 sort of be on par on what's available for Web2 teams, specifically like regarding affiliates and referrals. There are like loads of Web2 tools, but you, 
they, they don't really fit well with Web3. Like you really sort of have to force fit them, which is sort of, there's a whole wave of new products coming out and we're one of them sort of in the Web3 growth stack. And yeah, our, our goal is sort of just to give Web3 teams the powers that sort of any Web a Web2 team has, at least when it comes to affiliates and referrals and in the future, even more things regarding growth. For sure, affiliates and referrals is an interesting area that is ripe for enhancements with Web3. So turning our attention to ERC-721R, um, would love to have you present what you have built and how you sort of got to that point with ERC-721. So we'll turn it over to you for that. Yeah, sure. So yeah, this is a topic I've spoken about quite a few times. Um, I am actually going to be speaking about NFT NYC. Um, if anyone's going to be attending. Um, excited to see what CPG does there. Um, the basic concept, as the name suggests, refundable NFT mints. The idea is that sort of within the world of Web2, um, within the world of sort of Web2 or just regular commerce, if you go and sort of purchase something, you're not happy with it, you can get a refund on it. Within the world of Web3, this has been sort of far less common. And we saw a sort of in the sort of bull cycle, the NFT bull cycle of probably like 2021, 2022, um, a lot of teams would sort of, you know, build, like raise a lot of money, be there for maybe a week, two weeks, and sort of then just disappear. And sort of there's just sort of no consumer protection. Um, you would pay for something and then sort of just not really get what you expected. And so refundable NFTs, it's, it's, it's a very simple concept, like the 30-day money-back guarantee. That's what sort of refundable NFTs are for Web3. Um, so, yeah, like we're trying to drive greater accountability, reduce rug pulls, and sort of it's just sort of a win-win for everyone. I think um, with, yeah, that's sort of how we accomplish it with refunds. Um, it's is sort of escrowed at the smart contract level. So let's say you go and purchase an NFT, um, you know, you spent 0.1 ETH on it, or let's say $100 on the NFT, um, and you get the NFT. And so sort of what you can write into smart contracts, you can code smart contracts to do whatever you want. And um, what we with ERC721R, the money basically is locked in the smart contract, let's say for a 30-day period, and then only afterwards, um, after the end of the 30-day period, can the team take that money out and sort of spend it. In the meantime, it sits there. And if you want, as a buyer, you can basically return your NFT to the contract, sort of re return the goods and get your money back from the smart contract. And this sort of, it just, it just provides obviously a ton of trust. You like, it's even better than the Web2 version of it. I think if it was the same as Web2, it would be great, but it's even better because it's written into the code. Like there's no way the team can sort of not honor that refund. Like they have to, it's not even up to them. It's up to the smart contract to, to honor the refund. And it sort of like sort of bridges a bit about what we'll be speaking about later with smart accounts, but the, the power of smart contracts and programmable money, this is sort of probably the, sort of the most basic example of it. Um, it actually has a name as well, sort of a more like sort of the same way as account abstraction is ERC43. 37. So uh, the EIP for refundable NFTs is 5507. I won't go too deep into it, but this is sort of what the interface looks like for uh, refundable NFTs to make it sort of an official standard that all teams can sort of use the same uh, the sort of the same interface or sort of make, make all refundable NFTs look the same, basically, the same way as we have like ERC721 and 1155. They will follow a standard, so that it's the same thing for refundable NFTs. And I, it's worth noting the different types of NFTs that exist. So some are some are like sort of you're buying a product. You might buy be buying an in-game item. <clears throat> it might be sort of membership to a club. You know, there are all sorts of. It could be like even sort of trying to mimic an investment, be similar to a Kickstarter campaign. So there are a lot of different types of NFTs. And the reason I sort of bring this up is because depending on the type of NFT, a refund might make more or less sense. So sort of in the real world, you know, if I buy a shirt from Amazon, I can return it, you know, within a certain time period. Or, you know, if I go to a restaurant, they'll probably um, return the or like give me a new meal sort of if I don't like it. Um, and then there are other things where maybe a refund makes less sense where, 
you know, if I'm buying Apple stock and the price goes down 20%, I'm not getting a refund. And NFTs sort of cross both those sort of, you know, like t- t- it, uh, NFTs can sort of appear in all sorts of formats. Um, and so, uh, you know, even art as an example, with art, maybe refunds make less sense because you know, you know, you, you know exactly what you're buying. You see the piece of art. It doesn't make sense for you to say three weeks later, like, hey, I'd like to refund it. Like, you got what you expected at the time. But if the promise was, you know, this, you're going to get access to an amazing community and you've been in the community a week and it's completely silent and there's no value being provided. So in that case, you may well want to sort of return your membership NFT and get a refund back for it. And that's sort of where refunds really shine and these trustless refunds built into the smart contract. I won't dive too deep into this, but there's been like a whole, like there's been a, a few projects that have used um, refundable NFTs. Exodia, which is sort of what, uh, sort of our NFT analytics platform, it was a membership card for that. Uh, Curious Addies is another. There's a few others basically that have used it. And overall, the results have been quite strong in terms of if you look at it from the point of view of the collection. In the case of Exodia, we sold 500 passes. The refund amount was very few you know there was like less than 10 nfts refunded curious Addies trading club they had a 100 day refund period and in that 100 days i think it was under 15 percent refunded um podium was another and so on and so as a whole it's been like very successful crypto fighters alliance is actually a sort of the redo of our 2018 project crypto fighters it's like sort of a 3d version of it it was a version two we actually did a very large number of refunds there. We had a 45-day refund period. We had around 80% of people refund, which is obviously like, wow, like that, that, that's terrible. Like, how, how could this happen? But what had happened in our case, basically, we were looking to raise $2 million, basically, through the sale. We ended up raising around 500 k But basically, pretty soon, when people realized we weren't going to hit the goals that we had set for ourselves and sort of the targets we had set, basically people had started refunding quite quickly, basically. Um, and at a certain point, we, it wasn't like sort of 80% refunding immediately, but at a certain point we realized that both also the crypto prices had started to drop in that 45 day period. It was just when the bear market was starting. So even the money we had raised was actually worth sort of a lot less at that point. But at a certain point we realized sort of we didn't have, we hadn't raised enough for sort of what we wanted to do. and we basically told people 10 days before the end of the project, uh, the, before the end of the refund period, you can take your refund if you want, because now this is going to be an art project and not a, a project with a roadmap. We didn't raise enough money to sort of build what we wanted. So if you, you know, if, if you want at this point, you know, you have 10 days to take a refund, um, which is obviously like in some ways like, oh, that's terrible. Like we, we didn't achieve the goals we wanted as a project. On the other hand, it was actually, I, I'm, I'm quite happy with how things turned out. Um, obviously it was, it wasn't great for the team. People were very disappointed. We weren't able to achieve our goals, but for me, it was better to sort of be in a situation where we were either fully funded to do what we wanted to do, or that we sort of, sort of, you know, made good by a community. And if we're not able to do what we wanted to do the same way as in a Kickstarter campaign, you know, you're trying to raise $400,000 to create suitcases, only raise $50,000. You don't have the funding you need to go and build what you want. And in many cases, I think in Indiegogo, it's even automatic that if you don't hit your funding goals, the money is just returned to everyone. So that, that's what happened uh, with Crypto Fighters. Um, there are definitely sort of, there's a lot to learn from every single sort of NFT that did use a refundable contract. I, based on like, you know, it makes sense in certain cases, it makes less sense in others. Um, but this should give you sort of a good overview um, of sort of how it's worked in practice today. Um, there's a question, does it fully prevent rug pulls? So it can definitely help against rug pulls to a certain extent, but it's not going to fully stop uh, rug pulls from happening. Um, so for example, the Podium NFT team, they had a sort of a mechanism where they would vest every two weeks, they'd be able to refund, like withdraw another 20% from the smart contract. They did that, everything went fine. But you know, half a year later, they basically, there wasn't much movement on the collection. Um, I wasn't sort of too happy to see sort of how things had gone. They had sort of sold their contract as the unruggable contract. And that's true for sort of the short term, but long term, it doesn't protect you against rugs. Whenever that refunded period ends, if it's 30 days, 100 days, whatever it is, like after that period, a team could still go and rug. 
But I still think sort of the interesting, there are interesting ideas here. It does force a team to work a bit harder. And obviously you could set up a contract where it vests over, you know, three years or four years, like a regular startup where funds are slowly released over time. And then it's almost impossible to rug. The downside of an approach like that is the team needs the money to build. And if you don't, if it's sort of just locked away, it becomes very difficult to, to build. Um, there are different ways to sort of do refundable NFTs. You can vest, you can sort of burn the refunded NFTs. It could be on primary sales, secondary sales. There's a whole different uh, bunch of different mechanics, but I won't go into that too much right now. And the last topic I sort of want to talk about as we come to an end on ERC721R is should all NFTs be refunded legally? So I'm not actually going to talk about the legal side of it. I'm not a lawyer. But if anyone sort of remembers a few weeks ago, Porsche had a sale and something that came out of that was they actually made you like check a box that said that you won't receive a refund. Um, and people looked into that and was like, oh, why is that the case? So it turns out in Europe um, and it, probably in the UK, you actually need to offer a refund sort of for these digital goods that you're selling. Um, apparently, the Porsche lawyers thought it was OK that if you if you check this box, that sort of you're no longer entitled to it. What happened from that is certain people actually reached out to Yuga Labs and was like, well, you didn't have this like checkmark uh, box when like sort of we were minting your board apes. So like we, we want to claim a refund on that now because you never offered that option. So I don't know exactly sort of how this will develop. I don't expect Yuga Labs to making it to be making any refunds. Um, and to be honest, people have profited hugely, so it wouldn't really make sense to offer a refund there. Um, but it is interesting sort of what happened. And actually, in the case of Porsche, um, I think they made a huge mistake in not offering refunds. But sort of what happened with Porsche is they tried to raise $10 million. They went and raised $1 million in total. And had they offered refunds, I think they definitely would have sold out the entire $10 million. And the reason for that is the, re the reason refunds are so good is not just for sort of the, the buyer. It's incredibly good for the collection as well. And because it makes it zero risk for the buyer, that you can go and mint a Porsche NFT for one ETH, I would have minted as many as I could if I knew that within 30 days I could get a refund. Because, you know, if within that 30 days I see, well, okay, I, I didn't profit, so or it's not working out how I wanted, then I can refund them. And obviously it wouldn't be great to see like a huge number of refunds, but in the case of Porsche, they managed to sell 10% of the collection. And they likely would have been able to sell even they would have sold out 100% with a refund. And even if they saw a 50% refund, they would have still collected $5 million from their sale. So this is just something I think like, especially the big and established brands should be pushing a lot more. And I think the lawyers in the case of Porsche actually made a mistake by having that non-refundable policy. I think they would have done incredibly well if they did have a refund policy in place. Um, and yeah, that's uh, sort of, I think, where we'll end it right now on the side of refundable NFTs. But I'm like more than happy to sort of like answer any questions that, that may have come to mind on that. I have a couple of ideas and in, in questions. For me, the idea of an irreversible transaction is really a large catalyst for fraud. Because a lot of people just be like, oh, well, I can't give it back. Or, oh, it's too hard. Or, oh, things change. I could also see the opposite side where in the case of Yuga, where folks had profited greatly, and depending on the, the statute of time that had passed, um, what would the refund explicitly entail? Would it be that that person who potentially benefited in other ways would have to return all assets that were derivatives of that other deeds? Um, purchase, I think those are things that are interesting and new to, to tackle. Before I ask my question, um, I will give a plug for us to talk about our POAP, which is the POAP for you for attending this one. The secret word for our POAP, and it's more related to ERC 4337 than it is to, seven, to this one, and um, it is, it's an account. I-T-S A-N a-C-C-O-U-N-T. And this, again, refers to things that are Web 2, that Web 2 does really well, that Web 3 has sort of been hand-wringing about, well, it's better, and I think we're actually moving in the right direction. This is a beautiful example of it, and I'm, 
really thankful that you shared it with us. My question is, how long has this been available? And apart from the list that you've seen, what's been the inbound inquiry to use it as a tool as you've designed it? Yeah, so it sort of officially, I think probably the first use case of it was probably Exodia in September 2021, I believe. Um, and so I guess a year and a half ago, um, a few teams have used it since. Curious Addy is also very similar time had used it back then. Podium had used it back then. Um, and in terms of, um, oh, sorry, that actually Podium was a few months later. In terms of sort of when it got termed as ERC721R, so that was around April 2022 time. And sort of we rebranded it as like ERC721R when we're sort of doing Crypto Fighters Alliance Mint. Um, and in terms of sort of like, I, I have been keeping track fairly closely of sort of who's been using it in the space. Um, I don't think it's even reached 10 teams that have used it, but what sort of they do appear um, every so often or some version of like sort of a refundable NFT, um, like maker, like DAO maker or something like that, I think is doing a version of it. Uh, there was like home away, I think was like, um a quite an expensive nft they didn't do a trustless refund but they did have like a 90-day refund policy on that so and i think they from what i remember i think they did pretty well um in terms of like sort of inbound inquiries it's not you know people using it they, they don't need to speak to us about it it's sort of similar to like erc721 or 721a really like any team in the world can use it and you know the, every single nft ever is like erc721 basically or 1155 but these are just standards for everyone to use. So they don't, no one has to sort of be in touch like, hey, I want to use sort of refunds in our contract. Really, like any team can add it, even if they're not using the official ERC721R standard. They can add it fairly quickly. In terms of like coding, it's not hugely complex. You could probably add it in 20 lines of code or so. But I think what is extremely powerful is sort of the, the yeah, I mean, everything we spoke about right now sort of, in terms of like technically it's not so difficult to add but in terms of sort of like the uh i guess how it changes how it can potentially change the space and one protect users and also sort of like also like provide value to collections that's what i find sort of extremely interesting with it and uh, yeah i mean just sort of like just to finish up the answer but despite not seeing like crazy amount of usage i think we, we will continue to see teams sort of using it over time i do believe that at a certain point we will see like a really big name using it. Like if it's a Porsche or, you know, whatever, like a future Yuga drop. And once a big name does use it, I sort of expect a sort of maybe the meta even to change and potentially we'd see a lot more teams using it. But like there are pros and cons to using this approach. It really depends on the team, their tolerance for risk, how well they're funded in other ways. Um, but yeah. What are the interesting use cases that are the edge cases that you bumped up against that maybe you didn't anticipate initially with 721R? Um, yeah, so it's like really interesting, like sort of from, I guess, like game theory standpoint, maybe, I, I don't know, <laughs> but like maybe if that's the right word, but in terms of just like how are people going to interact with these contracts? Because I think like just in, in terms of it as a mechanic, I think people have a, like a lot of different viewpoints and like when we put it out, people are like, wow, this is like the worst thing ever. Like, you know, everyone's just going to refund and like, there's like it's bad for teams and and so on and i think when you look at it in practice things pan out very differently um and so like i think that is probably sort of what has been most interesting you have we have seen cases obviously where there are a large amount of refunds and wasn't necessarily a bad thing um you know we've seen teams where it, it's been it, it's been a great mechanism for them what's so good is that sort of it really encourages the user to go and buy something. The reason sort of shops have refund policies or you see 30 day money back guarantee that advertising it, you know, why are they doing that? It's because you're more likely to buy if you know, well, I can go back to the shop next week. So um, it, it's good for teams. I think that's a point that was probably lost on a lot of people. It's not necessarily at the goodness of a team's heart that they're like looking to do it. But I think it is very good for consumers but also it has like tremendous benefit. Like it, it can be very good for the team as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, like uh, so, so many different things have come up. Each mint is like sort of a bit different. We sort of learn a bit more. I think one of the big challenges is like you want to provide the funds to the team, 
but sort of when they're escrowed, you can't provide those funds. So it's sort of like trying to find the right balance. Like what I mentioned before, it would be difficult to do like a three-year refund period where like the team is vesting one month at a time. And the reason for that is let's say the team raises $3 million or over three years, like a million dollars a year. So each month they only have access to $100,000. And it's a very difficult way to run a business. Sort of if you know, if you were told, well, you just raised X amount of money, but you don't know if sort of some of that money will be there in two years time because people might have refunded. Um, so I think there needs to be like sort of a shorter refund period. It can't be too long, but at the same time, you do want it to be enough time for consumers to see what they've bought and sort of make a decision. And um, yeah, each team sort of needs to balance those uh, those variables to sort of dis- to decide what works best for them. I think it's fascinating to think about how you could use a very web three forward on an annual subscription that then potentially is contracted to degrade over time. So the amount that you get back is based off of how much you didn't use. So if you had a 12 month and you only use six, you'd only get six months worth back. And it's a, an interesting, an interesting way to keep communities and teams accountable. I do think the consumer aspect of this, which has been sort of greatly underappreciated at the early days of Web3 and is now really taking front and center stage, literally, um, is a great segue into 4337. So yeah, account abstraction, it's, it's the buzzword right now. Everyone's talking about it, hundreds of threads on the topic. Um, and I, I think the attention is deserved, to be honest. Um, it's a very interesting idea. Um, it, it opens up so, so much, even sort of a few other things we just spoke about, about even subscriptions, um, which weren't really doable in web three in an easy way. They will become more possible with account abstraction, but we'll, we'll speak about that later. Um, but yeah, ERC four, three, is sort of the, the official, number for it. Um, it's actually been in the works for a very long time. I think even back in 2015, um, it was spoken about. So what, we're like seven, eight years on from that now, which is sort of crazy to think, but it's, it's become like sort of an official standard. Um, we have seen versions of this beforehand, which I'll also talk about in a bit. But um, yeah, let, let's sort of get started on this topic. Um, there are basically two types of accounts in Ethereum. And I think actually people are pretty familiar with these types of accounts. One is what is called like EOAs, and this is sort of just your regular wallet or account. So like if you go to MetaMask, you know, I create a wallet, click up there, you get your address. That's just a, that's like a regular account. That's what they call EOAs, um, like sort of in Ethereum terminology. And then the other type of account is a smart contract. And this is an account which can be, is programmable basically. So every NFT mint basically is a, a smart contract. And what happens in those NFT mints is, you know, you send some money to the contract. Um, the team can then pull money out of that contract. And what you get back from the contract is the sort of the NFT. Um, yeah, you know, the, the, the smart contract basically is the collection of NFTs. And it's also able to receive the money and sort of everything we just spoke about in terms of ERC 721R. That all that's like programmable logic. And you put that into a smart contract. So those are the two types of wallets in um, in Ethereum, um, and we're, we're we're used to interacting with both of them. But what would be really cool is if your regular wallet, like sort of your like your MetaMask wallet, could also be programmable. So, like as a very basic example of what like that means, like let's say you want to send like a hundred dollars a month to someone, like right like to someone for a subscription. Super super common in Web two. Obviously, you do, you'd use something like Stripe or Paddle or whatever service you use. Um, right now you can't do that from like an EOA from a regular account. You could do it from a smart contract, but that means you sort of need to deploy your own smart contract and it's like a hassle. So the, the, what everything around account abstraction is basically, it's also known as smart accounts, which might be a better term for it, but how can we make these sort of regular accounts that we have, how can we make them smarter? And the answer is that we actually, we sort of, we make every account a smart contract account is basically the answer. But these regular sort of these smart contract accounts that we own, basically right now, like you, it, there's very little usage of sort of these smart contract or these smart co- smart accounts for regular people. What account abstraction and 4337 does 
is allows basically anyone for your regular wallet to be a smart account. And we'll, we'll go a bit into that and like sort of what why that's so cool. Um, I have a whole bunch of examples up on screen. Maybe we'll go through these quickly and then I'll go into like a sort of a bit more depth in a, in like sort of in the following slides. So the first example is like multi-sig wallets. These are basically, if people are familiar with SAFE, what used to be called Gnosis SAFE, these are like wallets with multiple signatures um, that to enable a, a transaction. Things like allow allowances, um, spend 10 ETH per month. Um, you're, you're only allowed to spend this certain amount. This is possible. Recovery um, of wallets. What happens if you die or something bad happens to you? How does inheritance work? Seedless smart contract. So basically not having that scary seed phrase, the subscriptions we spoke about, um, enabling others to sort of pay for your transactions and third party protection. Well, I guess the last one I should mention bundle transactions. Yeah, this is like sort of quite a long list. Um, I'm actually going to go into them more in detail now. So I didn't want to spend too long on that slide. Um, taking a bit of a step back, just sort of understanding what like the difficulty of Web3 today, but like what it looks like right now is like I go create an account, then I need to sort of store my private key. If it's MetaMask or Ledger, might need to like write it down or sort of store it away safely. Then I sort of need to find some like buy funds and there's a whole process. I don't even sort of want to talk about all these steps. Like it's a hassle basically, <laughs> you know, go through the transaction, wait for it and so on. And that's sort of the, the world of Web3 today. With smart accounts, basically, we can remove a ton of this where it might even be like you can sign up to a service with Google, maybe even pay $10 with Apple Pay or Stripe or whatever it is. And sort of, just sort of all these steps are sort of handled for you. And you might even have sort of still be in full control of the wallet after that entire process. But it's really sort of the sort of thing that this enables. The reason there's been so much hype about it and sort of account abstraction and what the possibilities are is because it can really like massively simplify the lives of Web3 users and enable onboarding of the masses, sort of the, the next billion users for Web3. Um, there's another sort of precursor to sort of like some of the problems we face with Web3 is often like we have these catchphrases of not your keys, not your coins. You know, don't keep your money on FTX or Celsius or Binance or really any exchange. You know, what if Binance goes down tomorrow? You know, your funds are lost. And we, we've felt this like acutely in the last few months. You know, people lost a lot of money at FTX. Um, and so there's very much a move towards don't hold your funds on exchanges. You know, I still have money on Coinbase myself, and, and I also have money in my own wallets that I own. But um, like, there's definitely a risk to holding money with a third party. What if Coinbase gets hacked? What if, you know, they've been lending out money and they you know, sort of like FTX and sort of just don't have the funds for everyone to withdraw? So that is like one side of the equation. Don't keep your money with exchanges. The other side is that holding money yourself in sort of like your ledger or whatever it is, is extremely, extremely difficult. You know, you need to write down a seed phrase, 24 words or 12 words. Um, you, you know, the same way as you won't have $50,000 hidden under your mattress or a million dollars, whatever the amount is, you know, it, it's extremely anxiety inducing to um, have like these huge amounts of money. Every time you send a, uh, a transaction, it's like super scary. Uh, did I send it to the right place and so on? Um, and so there's like people that advise not your keys, not your coins, but the flip side of that is your keys, your problem. And both of them are actually like not great because you really can lose your money at FTX and it happened. And at the flip side, like so much money has been lost because people lost their wallets, their seed phrase got stolen and so on. So like for most people, I actually think the exchanges are the best approach, but you, there's risk involved there. And like, so there's, there's like, obviously I also recommend everyone that's crypto native Get yourself a ledger, definitely become comfortable uh, with these sort of different ways of handling things. But smart accounts is actually sort of this third dynamic, which I think is can solve a lot of these problems. Um, and how it works is basically one thing you can do with smart accounts is it's not dependent on any single wallet. So even for yourself, you can open up a Gnosis safe today and you can have multiple signatories. And these can be your own wallets, basically. So it might be one of your wallets is like sort of a MetaMask in the browser that is in charge of your Gnosis safe or sort of your safe. And there might be another account, which is your ledger and maybe another one, which is like your Zengo wallet. 
So you have three different accounts, which are all sort of controlling this like smart account that you have. And let's say, I don't know, you have a lot of money in this account and you're worried about, you don't want to have a million dollars on your ledger, but you're more comfortable having it in your sort of smart account because no single wallet can sort of move it. You know, somebody logs into your computer and steals your sort of MetaMask uh, key, like they still can't do anything because they need multiple signatories. And if it's a company, same thing. You don't want your money sitting with any single person at the company. You might want the CFO, the COO, and the CEO to all sign on something before they send over $5 million to sort of that other fund or whatever they're doing. So this is the sort of things that smart accounts start to enable. Um, in terms of sort of the multi-sig wallets that I mentioned, you could have like two or three approving. It could be five of nine. It could be, you know, you're really any rules you want. It could just sort of be a single person approving transactions as well. Um, and other parts of this is you could even have like a bank as a third party, like having access. So maybe you own two of your keys and the bank owns a third key. And the rules you've set up are that, you know, you're in full control. The bank can't move any money but the bank could potentially stop you from you know, making a bad transaction. You might want it that the bank is signing off on every single transaction that you do. And if the bank is like, you know, they're running their own systems and they notice, wow, you know, this is a, you've just signed a scam contract. Money is about to be removed from your account. So that is possible with smart accounts. You can basically write any code you want to be the rules of the account. It, it, you know, it could really be anything. But in terms of sort of how powerful this is and how much it can protect users, it, 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 can be, it can be a real game changer for the space. And I hope it is in sort of the years ahead. Um, by the way, just on the topic of multi-sig wallets, they have been around for years. So we, we have had account abstraction for a while in those terms. But what has changed recently is sort of like it's become an official standard and certain other features that weren't possible before or weren't highly adopted, they've now become a standard and they will be possible. Um, in terms of spending allowance, so what this means is, imagine you have, let's say, your notice is safe and you want to, I want to allow my daughter to spend money from my account, but I have, let's say, $100,000 in my account. I don't want her to spend it all in one go, but I am okay with her spending, you know, one ETH per month or $2,000 per month to pay for, you know, university or whatever, whatever she needs to pay for. So that's sort of another really cool feature. It's also, this one has also been around for a while and like definitely recommend like teams using NoticeSafe to take advantage of this feature. You know, it might be you have $5 million in your, in your account, but you want your CMO to be able to spend $50,000 a month on marketing without having to get five different signatures from other members in the team. So you can set that sort of thing up with these spending allowances where a person is allowed to spend much smaller amounts and not put all the money at the account at risk, basically. Same way with your bank account, actually. Your credit card, you might have like um, a $20,000 limit on your credit card or whatever it is, and your credit card won't allow you to pay more unless you go through extra checks or sort of do certain things. So the same thing uh, with spending allowances. And this is like a really cool feature that sort of these smart accounts offer or can offer. Account recovery is the topic of basically what happens if you lose your account. So this can happen in so many ways. Like what happens if someone were to like pass away and, you know, they didn't share their seed phrase with anyone and they decided not to do that because, you know, if they did, <laughs> their money would be stolen. So there's really like sort of no good way around that. If you like look after your seed phrase too carefully, like your money is lost forever if something happens to you. Um, and you can't pass that on to your kids or like your wife or whoever it is or your husband. Uh, and on the other hand, you know, if you do give your phrase to someone, you give your phrase to your wife and sort of maybe something happens, you get a divorce, you get into a fight and suddenly she's stolen $5 million from your wallet. That's not great either. So again, here, smart accounts allow you to build in rules that sort of make this a bit better. Uh, it could be that like money can be removed if your bank approves it and Coinbase approves it. You know, it might be two different entities uh, that are in charge of this. And or maybe it's an official entity. Maybe it's the government and they know, OK, this person, Ellie, like something happened to him. You know, he he's no longer can pass on the funds. So now we're going to we're going to um, approve the unlock for the funds to move to his wife and kids. So everything around this, it's not a topic that gets spoken about a lot. 
but the state of like sort of inheritance and recovery in Web3 today is it's a disaster and account recovery can make it uh, a, a lot better, basically. And, you know, find these middle grounds where others can't get your money easily. But if a few different trusted entities approve or people, you know, approve, then money can be moved out. The third party protection is something I mentioned before, but imagine every time you do a transaction, you have this uh, like service that is checking. Okay, did Ellie just like sell his board ape for like 0.1 ETH? You know, and like we, we that doesn't seem like something that makes sense. Let's like stop that from happening. And so we're going to block the transaction unless Ellie calls up the bank and tells me tells the bank, yeah, I actually meant to sort of push that transaction through. So that as well, like. We've all seen like a million examples of um, people like sort of getting scammed in the space. And th this would help with a lot of those cases. By the way, on this topic, unrelated, but I would recommend people using like pr like protection mechanisms today, like Pocket Universe or Stello or a bunch of others that you can add to your browser that sort of semi do this for you. But if it can be built into the smart contract, like what happens with um, account abstraction, then it, it protects people a lot more. Seedless, as we sort of come to the end um, of what we're going to talk about for account abstraction. So seed phrases are extremely difficult to look after. 24 words, you might have to write them down. What happens if you lose that piece of paper? What happens if someone steals a piece of paper? You know, people come up with these set clever schemes that they put like print it on metal and they put it in one safety, like split it into three, put it into three safety, depo uh, safety deposit boxes at banks. Um, there's a million ways you could go about it. Um, none of those approaches are user-friendly in the slightest. There's no way, like, if I'm, like, telling my parents, I think you should buy some crypto, like, no way am I going to tell them, like, get a seed phrase, get a ledger, whatever it is. I'm going to tell them, just, like, go with Coinbase. But as we mentioned before, like, there's huge, like, risks to doing that as well. So what, like, because we can code any rules we want into a smart contract or into a smart account, basically what this enables is that we can get rid of seed phrases completely. Um, MPC wallets do this already in sort of a different way, but with smart accounts, we can we 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 can basically sort of just completely change the rules of the game of how accounts are supposed to work. It could be like your account is you know it can only be accessed if you get an email to like sort of your Gmail account plus also sort of enter something on your phone. Uh, but all of that is just so much simpler if I just had to do some things on my phone or Gmail compared to you know having to write down my seed phrase which is just the like just awful ux and not, not how sort of a billion people are going to get on board is the crypto another challenge we face like it's it's amazing how many challenges we face in crypto despite how far we've come i think this sort of presentation might be sort of just explaining problem after problem after problem of like why the ux in crypto is so bad today but like smarter accounts is sort of could be that silver bullet that sort of just like fixes everything where everything can be done better with it. But sponsored transactions is another one where right now, if you're playing a game, let's say a Web3 game, every single time sort of something happens, you might have to sign a transaction, which doesn't make sense to sort of like every single thing you have to approve. Or, you know, you don't have a crypto wallet and you sign up to a service and you want to interact with a sort of, you know, something in Web3 that, you know, a lot of teams would be very happy to pay that transaction fee for you. Um, you might pay them through some other mechanism or whatever it is. You know, you might be already a member of CPG and every time, C, you know, CPG wants to do an action on your behalf, you just sort of, sort of like click OK and it happens. And CPG is paying your transfer fees for you, which might be a few cents on Polygon. It might be a few dollars on Ethereum mainnet. But um, having like sort of these paymasters or other people able to pay for you on your behalf with a regular like EOA contra uh, um, wallet and account, you can't do that. And again, smart, uh, smart accounts enable that. Subscriptions, we discussed it at the beginning. But if you have like a SaaS business, I, you want people to pay $10 a month. Right now, that hasn't been easy to do in Web3. It was always possible, but it just wasn't easy. And when your smart, when your account is a smart contract, it becomes um, a lot easier to do. And you can code in the rules that say send ten dollars a month to some address, or you know th this other address can pull X amount at a certain time periods. 
So just sort of everything around sort of that becomes so much easier. That's sort of um, the end of, um, yeah, sort of all the different features that smart uh, contract accounts enable. Bundle transactions was one more that I didn't actually talk about on its own slide, but so often you're sort of approving a transaction or approving money to be spent, and then you're doing another action, another action, just to swap like uh, USD into ETH or whatever it is. With a smart contract wallet, you can sort of bundle those all up into one go, um, like sort of, yeah, just automatically make it happen. Um, but here are sort of all the, there's probably even more re like reasons to be excited about smart contract wallets that I haven't even discussed here. Um, I'll probably end just saying that um, on each chain, it's going to look a bit different. On Ethereum, how these smart accounts get set up um, is there were no changes to the underlying protocol. Um, it was just using existing smart contract, uh, smart contract functionality to make it happen. And for like other chains like, um, you know, StockNet and like other layer twos are actually starting to enable a lot of these features sort of built into the, into sort of the blockchain itself, basically built into the layer two. And things might be sort of more efficient when sort of smart accounts are not sort of just this addition to the blockchain, but actually sort of built in from day one that this is like sort of an underlying piece that can be used. And yeah, for me, it's sort of just, it's very exciting. Um, where this will take us. I think it could still take a few years till we start seeing more and more adoption, but I think we've hit a point where at least we're, we're at the starting point of where adoption starts to become more possible. Um, but yeah, ho hopefully that was clear and <laughs> happy to answer any questions or sort of discuss that a bit further. I hope it wasn't sort of too many uh, one after the other um, and it, it, it was okay for people to understand. Thank you. It was indeed clear to me as I listen through the update what is coming and what's available. I think around availability, my real question is, and you had mentioned it'll take a few years for adoption. The first one is, what's the state of this currently? I think it was announced as an ERC a couple of weeks ago at East Denver. What is the current state of availability? Yeah, that's a good question. So I wouldn't say I'm like a, a complete expert in terms of exactly who's building uh, everything in this space right now. The most uh, famous example is Gnosis Safe, where those multi-sig wallets have existed for a while. Um, and sort of now they sort of just conform to a 4337 standard. Um, I know there are like wallets like Argent, um, which are sort of being based on um, the, 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 these sort of ideas. Um, I think they've sort of been building for a while and um, I think I own their wallet, but I don't actually, I, I, don't, I haven't used it properly. I don't think I've sent any funds to them yet, but there, there are like sort of lots of people building the space. There is like sort of on the technical side, there's like a lot of infrastructure that even though it was like officially announced, this was like sort of being spoken about 4337 for years basically. And so this is basically at the point where we like agreed, okay, this is the final and official 4337 standard. But now sort of a lot of teams I've seen, they're building like on testnet. Like, so there are like these Ethereum testnets like Goali and you can use their tooling um, to do all these things on the testnet, but not always on the main net. So they're still testing it out. So in terms of like sort of where this goes, it might, might take a few years. It'll be interesting. I'm hopeful like may maybe it'll be quicker. Part of it is infrastructure, things like these paymasters being set up and all this functionality we spoke about, just because it's theoretically possible and you could write code to make it happen, but it doesn't mean it's easy for anyone to do today. Um, and so, yeah, it's difficult to, for me to give exact timelines on things, but I would say if any teams are like have large amounts of money that they're holding in their treasuries, it is very common for teams to be using SAFE to manage that. And that for the, if you have like assets you're really worried about, it could be worth getting familiar safe and how it can it can help you sleep better at night if you know sort of your funds are protected by two wallets and not like oh crap what if someone steals my ledger and somehow gets the code and sort of now my expensive nft is stolen type thing i think what's fascinating for me to think about is the migration of current wallets to this alternative and certainly there has to be something to migrate to but all of the upside that you talked about um I envision it as 
in web two terms, now you have sign in with Facebook, sign in with Apple, sign in with Twitter, sign in with Google. And I believe this becomes the sign in with Ethereum. And that as a concept unlocks so many things for our space in web three for folks to then be like, oh, this is just my account. And maybe that account has the ability now, instead of abstracting ACH payment, like my Google Pay, I'm able to pay in USDC and Ethereum and a number of other things. And also the assets that are in that wallet then give me this really easy way to unlock lots of different magical experiences. So I think that um, the summary you provided is great. I think there's a lot of folks who are going to listen to this podcast and have lots of great ideas. Um, you had flashed on there your contact information. I would love for you to summarize it once more, um, as I think it's really valuable for folks with questions to come reach back out to you. And then as we get close to the conclusion here, any other parting comments that or, um, or ideas that you have would be great. No, I mean, as a whole, I mean, I, I, I've said it a few times, I, I am quite excited about this stuff. I think sometimes things are sort of hyped up for the wrong reason. Um, especially when there's financial incentive. I don't think here is actually sort of the opposite. I mean, it's being hyped up a lot, um, but I don't think, like, if we look back in 50 years' time, I, it will be sort of this, like, concepts like this will be like, yeah, like, of course, like, th these are, you know, th these are sort of just bread and butter, and it's sort of like crazy we ever use, like, sort of blockchain in a different way. That's sort of the, the impact I think it has. Um, there's no one that is going to immediately profit. There's no, like, token, like, Go, go by the account abstraction token but like the uh, well maybe safe as a token or it's coming out i don't know but like there's no like sort of it's not about sort of the financial side it's really just about improving the ux in the space like 10x or 100x it will open a lot of opportunities for builders in the space i think like sort of it, that could be definitely like an opportunity there have been teams building around account abstraction for a while but there are like sort of lots of different areas that you could potentially focus in and all these like tools that are coming out and sort of maybe not building everything from scratch, but taking advantage of what's about to be built and like sort of get yeah, these, these sort of these bundlers and paymasters and sort of all the, the sort of infrastructure tooling that everyone else is building could potentially like leverage that to sort of build on top of. Um, I, I think sort of, yeah, definitely for like sort of builders in CPG with like a long-term view, uh, some of this stuff could, could be very exciting basically. That's uh, sort of, I guess what I'll end on. And in terms of contact information, um, you can reach out to me, Ellie, uh, E L I E, with four twos at the end on Twitter, or just Google my name, Ellie Steinbock, and you'll find uh, everything about me. I think my LinkedIn and so on. Um, and yeah, like I'm happy to like connect with people on DM or on Telegram, basically. And that's where we have to end it for today. If you want to check out the full Q and A and learn more about joining Club CPG, visit dopackagegoods.com. Thanks to all our CPG and POP members for making these kinds of events possible. Crypto Podcast Goods is produced by Genius Media, a division of Crypto Package Goods.